Thank you, Brother Rogers. It's a blessing, good report. Glad things are going well in Brazil. Uh, I am thankful for the opportunity to preach, as always, anytime, anytime the Lord would give me the opportunity and pastor. And so just uh, knowing that this was coming up, I just uh, felt led to ask Pastor if I could just continue on preaching through the book of Haggai. So he graciously allowed me to do that. So I'm going to continue on in that book. Now, I know that there's a whole slew of new uh, freshmen that are coming in here. And I remember what it was like to be a God-called freshman. And some preacher comes in and says, turn to some. And then it's some obscure book like Haggai, and you're sitting there next to your friends, and you're like, I have no idea where the book of Haggai is. It's a, turn to Matthew, go backwards three books. There's the book. Freshman, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so if you'd all stand, and I actually want to turn to, you can turn to Haggai chapter 2, and, and that'll be our text. But before we get to Haggai chapter 2, if you would turn to Ezra chapter 3, and I want to read a little bit out of, of Ezra chapter 3. And, and it, it'll help us when I get into the message that I won't have to turn to this and read it, but it'll help set the stage for what I, what I believe is going on in the text. So if you turn to Haggai chapter 2 and then Ezra chapter 3, we'll get started. So start off in Ezra chapter 3, if you would. So uh, what is taking place here, if you, if you were not going to read verse number 8, but... There the people have come out of, of captivity. They're in the 70 years. And they uh, have gone back to the city of, of Jerusalem. And they're going to build the building. And so they started the work of the Lord. And, and we had, had preached about that in chapter 1. And this has taken place prior to uh, chapter 1. But they started the work of the Lord. And then verse number 10, it says this. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... They set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So people were excited. They were excited that this foundation of the Lord was laid. It's an exciting time in Israel. Look at verse number 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, that's Solomon's temple, when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise would, was heard afar off. So you, got, you have God's word being done here in, in this uh, section of Ezra chapter 3. And they laid the foundation of the temple. And there is a generation that had not seen Solomon's temple. And they're excited and they're praising God for what God is doing. And then you have what the Bible refers to as ancient men. Those who had seen Solomon's temple and the glories and the wonders of it. And they see this foundation, just, just the foundation. And they start to cry. Saying, oh, look at this. This is pathetic. Look at this work. And so they said that there was... There was shouting for joy, and there was weeping of tears. And onlookers were like, so are we happy or are we sad here? <laughs> what's the deal? Okay, so now we, we know what's going on uh, there in, in uh, Ezra chapter 3. It'll tie into where we're at here in, in Haggai chapter 2. So look at um, Haggai chapter 2, verse number 1. It says this, 
In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? That's Solomon's temple. Who saw that house? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all the people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. It's a great text. I'm looking forward to getting into it. I've entitled the message, God's Encouragement for Ministry Discouragement. God's Encouragement for Ministry Discouragement. Now, we're all in the ministry, and we all get discouraged. But God has some encouragement for those who are discouraged. Let's pray. Father, sure am thankful for the text and for your word. I do ask that you'd be with our pastor. Thank you for him and just the work you're doing in his life and, and how you're using him. Thank you for allowing us to be under him and be a part of this church and to serve through the Southwest Baptist Church. Uh, Lord, I do ask that you'd, you'd help the word to be a blessing, and I, I, I believe it will because it's your word. And uh, so I ask for your help and enablement and liberty here this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So uh, Kent Hughes, who co-wrote the book uh, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome with his, his wife Barbara, began his book by, by saying this, do not suppose that, it, that, that this was the hardest thing that, I happened, that happened to me in ministry. It is not. The significance of my experience is not its hardness, but that it almost made me quit my divine calling. So he's saying, what happened to me, what he's about to speak about, what he's about to talk about, it, it wasn't the most difficult thing that's happened to me in ministry, but it is the very thing that almost made me quit. Uh, he, he was a man who people had predicted to be a very successful man. He is married and had, had four children. He was, he was called to ministry as a, as a young man. He, uh, and he preached messages when he was a teenager. He went to college, and when he was in college, he organized uh, student ministries and evangelistic outreach. Reach. He he would go on to go to cemetery, uh, not cemetery, that's seminary. <laughs> seminary. <laughs> and he loved his professors and even Greek and Hebrew, if you can believe that. Um, he began ministry at his home church as the youth pastor and, and would go on to be the associate pastor. And, and he says that during those times, it was, a, it was a great time of spiritual harvest. 
and where he would see people saved and he would be, uh, see people called to ministry, that people that are still in ministry today are people that he led to the Lord and, and discipled and ministered and went off to college and, and is, are now in the ministry. He said it was a great time of spiritual harvest. When he was 32 years old, he, he said he began an active pulpit ministry, and, and I guess that means he was preaching every week. Well, he, he eventually wanted to start a church, so he started a church out of their, out of their church, and that church gave him a, a $50,000 gift and, and uh, sent him on his way. And he was told, you know, Kent, with all your ability and with all your skill, with all, with all that you have going for you, your church is going to be bigger than the mother church in just a short amount of time. And so he had his church and others send him gurus of how to grow a church and how it could be uh, massive and it could grow uh, bigger than his mother church in just a short amount of time. And he gave everything that he had to the ministry. Uh, he attended meetings. He strategized. He canvassed. He counseled. He prepared sermons. As a church planner, he borrowed pianos and, and borrowed piano players. And uh, he said that they would go into this building that they were renting. It was a school and they would go in, they would sweep and they would uh, get the chairs out and they would bring their stuff in and they would start to, to unload these big storage trailers and unload the pulpit and microphones and hymnals and rugs and rockers and play pens. And, and then they would proceed to have the service and then tear down all to do the same thing the next week. And he said that everything was painstakingly and prayerfully premeditated. Everything they did had thought. And he, he gave himself to the ministry. He, he gave everything that he had. And, and, and if he had boxes to check, if, if there was something that said here, if you check all these boxes, you're going to have a successful ministry. He had checked them all. Prepared to preach, check. Walk with the Lord, check. Prayed, check. Worked hard, check. Gone soul winning, check. Gone to meetings, check. I've, I've done it all. And he said, therefore, because I've checked off all of these boxes, I should have success. Um, but to his surprise, he didn't have success. His church did not grow. In matter of fact, it began to shrink. And during a long discourse with his wife, and he said he, he would go home and he put this, this, this uh, facade on his face where he would smile. And so he would play with his kids. And then one thing, once they went to bed, it, it, the, the facade changed and, and, and it was real life. And he was there and his wife was talking with him and asking him what's, what's going on and what's wrong. And, and he just poured his heart out to his wife about, about ministry. And he said, the ministry is asking too much of me. He said this, how can I go on giving all that I have without seeing results? Especially when others are. Everyone needs to see results. Farmers see their crop grow. It's their proper reward, he said in almost anger. He would go on to say this, that he bore no fruit in ministry, and that's how you measure success, is what he said. And he concluded that God had called him to do something that he had not gifted him to accomplish. And there's this man, Kent Hughes, a talented, hardworking, God-loving, God-fearing man who is now ready to quit. He's discouraged because in his mind, he's failed. And he said... Um, you know, I, I don't know to his wife. He, he said something to the effect of, I don't know if I have the faith to go on. And, and, his, and his wife said these words. She said, just hang on to my faith. It was good, wasn't it? Just hang on to my faith. And, and she was as scared as he was because, you, you know, you, you see, ladies, you see your husband frail and almost broken like that. And, and this lady just trying to be strong in the moment says, okay, well, if you don't have the faith, well, you just hang on to my faith. And really what she was trying to say to her husband is, hold on, don't quit. 
I know you're discouraged. I know it hasn't turned out like you thought it was going to turn out. I know your plans didn't, didn't work. I, I know that you've checked all the boxes for success. But, I, but I, I'm telling you, I, I know it hasn't turned out and the results are there. But, but it's like she said, don't quit. I know you're discouraged. So now I think it's proper that we understand what discouragement is and isn't. Because uh, discouragement isn't that you have some sort of sad or feeling of anger or hurt or some other feeling because your team lost or some other negative consequence. You understand? Uh, true biblical discouragement is, to the, is when you come to the place in your life where you're ready to quit. That, that's Bible discouragement. Now, there, there, there are several ways in which discouragement can come into somebody's life, and, and I'm going to talk about just a couple of them, but, but I know that there's a lot of ways in which discouragement can, can flood into somebody's life, but oftentimes it's when someone, maybe even yourself, has been critical of your work. Isn't that hard? Isn't that hard to take? Like you, give your, you give your life to a work, and somebody comes in and tells you you're not good enough. It's hard to take. Or you or somebody else compares your work with somebody else's work. And they look at the two and they say, well, that says nothing, comparatively speaking. Have you ever been discouraged? Are you discouraged? I know that I've been there a time or two in my life when I've come to the place in my life where I've wanted to quit. Let me ask you this. Are you working hard at the office, trying to be a good employee, and it's like you've checked all the boxes for success. I come in early. I stay late. I, I work hard. Check, check, check. I try to be kind in the office. I try to be a Christian. And I, I know God's going to bless that. But it's like the numbers are still down. And the people complain about your work. And it's like they compare you to other people in the offices. And then when they compare the two, it's like uh, you failed. Or, or how about this? Have you checked all the boxes of child rearing? And you see no results? Come on, I think every parent has been there. Where you say, listen, I, I have taught my child and I have trained my child. I, I have disciplined my child. I have prayed for my child. I, I have disciplined and I have prayed and I have disciplined and I've disciplined and I've disciplined. And nothing. The child still misbehaves. It's like I've done everything that I can do to get this child to obey. And, and there's, there's no way that they're listening. And you hear maybe the murmurs of other parents and, and you hear that, man, this child isn't obeying. And maybe you pick your child up from the fifth grade or second grade or whatever. And it's like, hey, you know, Johnny punched this kid in the face. And so, you know, and that's a bummer. <laughs> it's like, and it's like you're almost trying to convince them, no, look, I've checked all the boxes of parenting. I'm a good parent. I promise that I am. It's like, look, check, 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 check. Or maybe you compare your child with other children. And, and you say, uh, my child doesn't obey, but this child does obey. And what am I doing wrong? And if, if I'm doing something wrong, then why am I doing this anymore? Why, why should I even continue to raise my child and love them and care for them and teach them the Bible and, and discipline them? Why should I even do that if this is what I get? Well, this is what these people get. Now you've compared the two and you're ready to quit. All you do, mothers, is change diapers, cook meals, teach children, train, discipline, all of that. And you might even think, is this it? Is this what my life is about? Um, you see no immediate results. 
And, and, but what you do hear is you hear a world out there telling you that to be successful in your life, you've got to fill in the blank, have a job, be in politics, have a position of, of, of power. And you see other women on social media and you compare your life to them and you're thinking, what, what am I doing with my life? This is so small. This is so insignificant. Whatever that word is. It says nothing. <laughs> insignificant. There it is. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I woun't call that preaching. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a, a husband that's not following the Lord and, and the wife has done everything that she can, biblically. Uh, prayed, re respected, loved, submitted to, all, all of those things, and still yet he's indifferent towards you and towards God. He, still angry and hateful and criticizes and teaching your Sunday school class and you're faithful. You're faithful to prepare and you're, you're faithful to prepare. You're faithful to make visits. You're, you're faithful to help people through their problems and their issues. And it's like when you stand up to teach, you're still getting that blank, glassy-eyed stare. And you're thinking, these people are in the same old sin and I've done everything that I'm supposed to do and because I've studied and because I've prayed and because I've made visits and because I've talked to people, therefore, because I've checked these boxes, I ought to have some measure of success. It just won't grow. Come on. I would imagine that people on a bus route deal with that. I remember what it was like to go knock doors on buses in, in a hundred and some degree heat. And I remember what it was like to get up and, and, and in early in the morning to jump on a bus and to go get kids Sunday morning in a hundred some degree heat. It felt like and it was, it was like humid as, as can be. And you, you go to Sunday school and you sweat all through Sunday school. And even into the morning service, you're still sweating. You know, you make the visits and you pass out bus gum and you knock doors and you do everything that you're supposed to do. And still the numbers are still down. And, and you look at the results and you're saying, man, I am, I am doing everything. I'm laboring. I am working. I am doing everything that I can. And yet my bus still isn't growing to the, to the place that I feel like it's supposed to grow. And, and I can, I, I'm, I'm imagining that there's some that are faithful to soul winning. And you go, tell people about Jesus Christ. And you knock on doors and, and you tell your coworkers about the Lord. And, and you're doing all of these things. And yet it seems as like everyone's indifferent and they don't care about the gospel. And, and nothing is being done. And you're almost at the place where you're saying, why am I doing this anymore? been faithful. I've, God, I've been faithful to pray for my wayward child. I've been faithful to pray for revival in America. I, I've, been, I've been faithful to pray for people to be saved. And God, I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray. And over here, it's like I see nothing. I see no results. I, I'm done. I quit. And in your mind, maybe you've checked all the right boxes and you're listening to the voices that are around you that are saying, maybe even the voice inside your heart, that you're saying, look at the results. You, you surely aren't doing something right because of the results. You don't see the results of your labor and you're ready to quit. Well, friend, I want to tell you this. God has some encouragement for your discouragement. God has some encouragement for your discouragement. Now, I'm going to spare you a lot of the background on this because we've already dealt with a lot of it. But I am just going to touch on it just a little bit. Israel, because of their sin, had gone into the 70-year captivity, if you remember. 
They have been delivered from that captivity and they're now in Jerusalem. And those who chose to go back went back with money and uh, the spirit to rebuild God's house. And so they got back there and they started to rebuild God's house. They laid that foundation there in Ezra chapter three, as we just read, they laid that foundation and people were excited. But then this, this mentality came in and, and the people were telling them, no, you can't do God's work. But God was saying, yes, do your work. And Kings had already said, you can do your work. But the children of Israel didn't want to do the work. And they, they shifted from, from, from God's agenda to their agenda. And they started thinking about building their houses and they were doing these elaborate houses and they left God's house uh, lying waste. And God sent the prophet Haggai in and he came in and he addressed them about their excuses, about how your excuses are nothing more than excuse and they just want to cover up your sin and cover up your issues. The real problem of your life, which is misplaced priorities. And so the people of God, they got their heart and their, their life right and they went back to work. The Bible says that they obeyed the voice of the Lord and, and, and he gave that forward message where, where Haggai comes back in after these people obeyed and they started to do God's work and he said, I am with you. And they had some sort of a revival there in the, the end of the first chapter where, where God's people were doing the work again. They were building God's house and it was an exciting time. But you know, the devil is always at work. He's always at work. And if, and if he can't get somebody through indifference and if he can't get somebody through misplaced priorities and, and, and God gets their life right and people help direct people to get, to get back on God's agenda, you know what he's going to do? He's going to try another tactic, which is called discouragement. And it's what he did here. And Israel was in a place in their, in their life, this, the date says in the seventh month, in the one and 20th day of the month, they should have been in a place of, of rejoicing, but they found themselves discouraged because the place that they were in was called, uh, the time frame was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it, it, it was when Haggai came to them and it was a time when they were supposed to give thanks and rejoice over the provision and protection of God. They would build these booths and they would dwell in these booths for a week and they were supposed to think back at how God had delivered them from bondage and how he had protected them in the the wilderness and how he had given them the harvest for the year and how they had always had a meal and they had never lacked and they were supposed to sit there and, and they were supposed to think man God has been good to us and and God has protected us and God has taken care of us and they were supposed to be encouraged while they were doing the work but they found themselves discouraged because the spirit of Ezra chapter 3 had still crept into the hearts of the people because back in that chapter, as we read, the, the foundation was laid and there, were, uh, there was excitement and the people were singing and rejoicing God for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel, that, that God had been so good to them and people were shouting with joy and they were excited. But then there, the Bible calls this generation and ancient men who had seen the temple, the, the first temple in all its glory and all its wonder. And these ancient men, they saw the first house, they started to weep when they saw the foundation that was laid. This is horrible. And that spirit had infected Israel all these years later. And so God and Haggai ask in verse number three, who is left among you that saw this house in her, in her first glory? And can you imagine some of the ancient men that, there, that were there at that time? They said, oh, yeah. Oh, we, we saw that temple. You're talking about Solomon's temple, the one with the gold and the one with the doors and, and the one with all the, 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 the fancy furniture. And you're, you're talking about the time when, when, uh, when they had 22,000 sacrifices and oxen and it was so many that they had to go hollow the middle court because the, the altar couldn't handle it all. So they had to bring some out to another area and another section. And you're talking about the temple where, where Solomon prayed when he dedicated and the fire of God came down and, and then the presence of God came down. You're talking about that temple, that temple where the queen is. Sheba would travel because she wanted to see the glories of Solomon and, and all that he had created and all that he had done. That temple, oh yeah, buddy, we saw that temple. That temple is a success. And then he asks them another question. 
And how do you see it now? Because God, God didn't view this temple, this temple and Solomon's temple as different temples. He viewed them all as one. And the, the temple that is to come, that will come, that Jesus will rule and reign on, he views it as one. He views them all as one. And so he says, how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? And can you think, you know, them saying, oh, oh, this little shanty, <laughs> this little shack. Uh, I tell you what, when I saw the foundation laid those 15, 16 years back, I said, you know what I did? I wept. I mean, I cried like a baby. I just could not believe that Israel was going was gonna to build a temple for God that was so small and so little and so insignificant. You, 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 really, ex you really expect God to come down and bless this? You expect the fire of God to come down? You expect the presence of God to come? You expect for people to come from all around the world to see this? I mean, it, it, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no money that's involved in it. There's no gold. There's no fancy furniture. It, it's just a house. It's, it's, it's insignificant. Look at it. You think God would be pleased with this? And they came to the conclusion, this is a failure. This is success, but this is a failure. And then Israel was, was discouraged in doing God's work because they, they had drawn their own standard for success and failure. They, they looked at the magnitude of this one and they said, because of the results that took place here, this is a success. And because of the magnitude of this one, this one must be a failure. So they looked at, at, at each other's generation and they said, well, well this is ridiculous. And, and because they felt as though, because these ancient men came in and they started to discourage them in the work, it came to the place where you, you can imagine they would say, Why, what are you doing? You're building this. You expect God to like this. God isn't going to love this. God isn't going to bless this. He, he's not going to be satisfied or happy with what you're building for him. And the Bible says that, alludes to the fact that they were discouraged and they were ready to fall apart because their expectations in God's work weren't met. And when their expectations weren't met, they wanted to quit. Have you ever drawn your own standard for success? Is your perceived success or failure dependent upon results that you've designed? Let me ask you this. Do you, do you sense or feel as though that an obedient child is a success? I mean, most of us are thinking, no one wants to say it out loud, but we're thinking, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. And, and, I, and I would agree. I mean, come on, we, we, we put the work in, we, you put the effort in to, to raise children, and, and, and there's a certain degree of us that says, yes, because I put in the work, therefore I, success means obedience. And, and I, I've said the phrase before, I, I don't want a good child, I want a godly child. And I agree with that. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I want, a, I want a godly child, not a good child. But I, I think God has something even deeper planned for us here today. Do, do you think that praise from a boss is success? Do you feel like success is a growing ministry, a, a growing bus or a Sunday school class or souls being saved or a spouse that finally gets their heart right? Do, do you feel as though that is, is what success? Well, well, let me ask you this question. If that's the standard for success, what happens when that standard is not met? Discouragement. 
perceived failure breeds a discouragement. Come on, it, I mean, it, if I fail, if I massively fail as the college and career director, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Does that sound bad? If I'm a failure or a perceived failure, that's going to lead me to the place where I say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of being a failure. Why can't I go do something that I can, I'm good at or something that I can, I can help people with? I, I don't want to be a failure. Well, I wonder what God has to say to those who perceive that they're failures. I wonder what God has to say to those who are discouraged. And I'll tell you what he has to say. If you go and you look at chapter four, he tells them this, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. And he goes on, be strong, all you remnant of the land, and work. I, I, I really, I knew I wasn't going to get a big amen there because you think, wait a minute, I've been working and I want to quit. Why are you telling me, telling me to work? Because I'm, I'm telling you this, that, that God responds to Israel's perceived failure by, by telling them to get back to work because God's encouragement for discouragement works. Say, I don't want to go to work. I just told you I want to quit. Right, but God said, get back to work. Amen. But I want to quit. I'm a failure. No, God said, go to work. No, you're saying, I don't want that sort of encouragement. I'm telling you, God's encouragement for discouragement works. And you're like, yes, I know. God's encouragement for discouragement works. If God wants to encourage me when I'm discouraged, it always works. I get it. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when God wants to encourage his people, he tells them to go back to work. Amen. And you're thinking, oh, that's not the type of encouragement that I want. The type of encouragement that I want is like, is like Elijah. You remember Elijah when he's there with the prophet of Baal and, and, and he, he basically he calls down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal are, are dealt with and then Jezebel comes after him and she says, she says, I'm going to kill you. And he just falls apart. Completely falls apart and he's like, oh God, oh, you're going to die. God, just take my life now. I'm the only one that's serving you. And God says, listen, there's 700 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Why don't you just go up and he, and he directs him to a place and here's what God does to encourage him. He feeds him and then he tells him to take a nap. <laughs> Twice. That's the type of encouragement that I want. I want a buffet and a nap every Sunday, every day. I want, I, I, that's the type of encouragement. And listen, I know that there is a place for that sort of encouragement. And there, there is a time when a man is tired or a woman is tired and God just says, you know what? You're kind of irrational right now. You better just go take a nap. That's where, that's where Elijah was. And I'm not saying I want to be irrational, but I sure do want that nap. But God doesn't say that here. Because he knows the hearts of the people and he knows what they need. And he said, yeah, listen, I know that you're discouraged. I know that you're not pleased with your work. I know that others aren't pleased with your work. But what does that have to do with you obeying what I told you to do? I told you back in chapter one to get to work. Because if you remember in chapter one, they weren't doing God's work. And, and, and he said to them, listen, listen, get off your agenda, get on my agenda and get back to work. And, and God, when he told them to get back to work, he never promised them. Not one time will you find that God said, when you get back to work and you get off your agenda and you get onto my agenda, I'm telling you, you're going to have a Solomon-like temple. He never said that. He never said that it would be expansive. He never said that it would be big. He never said that they would see results. He only said, work. Yeah. Can you see him? They're like, Israel, they had thought because they had checked all the boxes there that God was obligated to give them some sort of tangible reason for success. Can you, can you see them? God, they're, they're going through this, this time and they're saying, God, look, we, we, we left Jerusalem and we came here. Check. 
We stopped working on our house. Check. We started working on your house. Check. We gave money. Check. We gave time. Check. We gave strength. Check. Therefore, God, because we have done all this, you have obligated us to bless us. God doesn't work that way. God was never as impressed with Solomon's temple as Israel was. He never was. And you say, well, how do you, how do you say that? We're, we're talking about the God who, who, who heaven is his throne room and the earth is his footstool. There is no man on earth or no men on earth that could ever uh, fabricate a building that God would say, yeah, I think I, think I could live there. I think that's good enough for me. There is no building that man could make that would say, this is good enough for God. God is too great. He is too wonderful for us. But they were discouraged because they were measuring their success based off of what they could see rather than what God told them to do. And their audience has ceased to become God and it has become man. These people aren't satisfied with my work. Therefore, I should quit. They wanted tangible results rather than the smile of God. God doesn't measure success by results. He measures it by faithful obedience to his word. That's it. Faithful obedience to his word. Your success as a Christian um, isn't found in results. And I understand, and I, I know that the world that we live in, they have a measuring rod for success. And, and, but let me just say, we can leave that measuring rod to the business world. And, because I understand that when we go into the business world, and many work in the business world, and I know it's hard to separate that from God's, God's plan and God's mind, but the truth is we can leave that sort of mindset to the business world. We, we can leave this sort of mindset that says, listen, if you're an athlete and you hit the ball and you have a 300 above average, therefore you are a success. And, and if you hit below that, then you are a failure. We'll, we'll leave that to the sports world. Because our success isn't dependent upon results. It's dependent upon faithful obedience to God's word. Amen. So you, you can't measure your results based off of how obedient your children are. You can't. Because what parent in here, I think parents who you've had children and they've grown and I'm not there yet, but they've grown and they're out of the house. I think that you would understand that you would recognize that you can teach your children, you can train your children and you can do everything for your children that you know you're supposed to do. But they have a mind of their own. You can't measure your success, mother, based off of uh, your Facebook friends. It's a farce. It's not true. I mean, come on. Nobody looks like that all the time. Nobody. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. There's got to be some times when mothers are in here. It's like, you know, you're, you're just happy to get like both sides of makeup on your face. Because like a kid interrupts and then you forget the rest of the day and it's like you're gone. You can't measure success about, by what your Facebook friends allude to. 
you can't, you can't measure your success based off of how many people you win to the Lord. Yeah, but I witness all the time, and I don't have, yeah, but you can't measure your success by that. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, how many people did you win to the Lord to, the, today or, or this week. I'm not a big fan of it. I understand the heart behind the question, and I'm not mad about the question, but wait a minute, I can't control that. I can't control who gets saved and who does not. Maybe a better question would be, were you faithful to tell somebody about Jesus when God prompted your heart? How many times were you faithful to tell somebody about Jesus when he prompted your heart? Maybe that's a better question that we ask. Because, because wait a minute, if, 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 if we tell somebody about Jesus every time that he prompts our heart, you know what that's called? Success. Amen. No, the world says that it, it's results. No, God says obedience. It's success. Wait, it, um, you, you can't number your Sunday school class by how it grows numerically. And you, you can't measure your success by how many people tell you to, to do a good job. We... we we think of it will be these tangible results, but God says success is found in faithfulness to my work, regardless of the results. So are, let me ask you, parent, are you properly applying biblical principles to your children? Success. Are you faithful to fulfill your role as a wife and a mother? Yes, but I, I just don't see any results and I just don't know, my, my kids aren't listening and it's like, it's like one day after the next, I don't, I don't feel fulfilled and, and, and I, I see all these people and they're doing all of these things and, and all I'm doing is changing diapers and, and all I'm doing is, is teaching kids and all I'm doing is this and I'm doing that and I'm cooking meals and it's like all I do. Well, are you doing what God told you to do? Success. Are you faithful to soul winning? Are you, are you faithful to go and visit your class? Are you faithful to tell your coworkers about Jesus Christ? Are you, are you faithful to your class role? Are you faithful? Well, I don't see any results. Nobody's coming and, and people aren't getting saved and I still get the same glassy-eyed look. Yes, but are you faithful to obey what God told you to do? Well, yes, success. Amen. So, because God measures success differently than, than we do. You know what he says to do when we're discouraged? Get back to work. Amen. Get to work. Um, well, why should I? Look at what he says in verse number four. He said, we just goes to this, long, this, this, look at the end of it where he just went through this, be strong and work. And then he says here, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. So here's what he says. He says, listen, I'm telling you that regardless of the success, regardless as to what you're experiencing, here's what I'm telling you to do. I want you to get back to work. Well, why should I? Because I am with you. I am with you today, he says, just like I was with you when, when you came out of Egypt and I made a covenant with you and I told you, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you today like I was with you back then. And you can go and read it, verses 6 and 7, and he talks about how he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and the desire of all nations shall come. And that is talking about a time that is yet future for the nation of Israel that has not happened, that, that will happen when Jesus comes and he, and he sits on the throne room in the temple and he rules and reigns from that temple. So what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you to get back to work because I am with you today, just like I was with you back then and just like I'll be with you in the future. Amen. And if God's presence isn't enough for us, what is? And, and matter of fact, God, God said, he said back in chapter one, verse number 12, he talked about how when they obeyed, you know what, they, you know what happened? When you obeyed, here's what happens. You have, I am with you. That was his forward message. When you obeyed God's word, I am with you. And then when he, they obeyed, God's presence came in and the work got done. And he says this. Oh, I, I, I love this verse, but he says, the glory 
of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord. It's amazing. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Here's what I understand about the text. Is he, he's saying that the glory of this temple that you're building right now is going to be better than Solomon's temple. And can you imagine them thinking, <laughs> okay. but look at it. But look at it. Look at the temple. It's so small. It's so insignificant. There's, there's no gold. There's no furniture. Nobody's coming around the world to see this temple. What are you talking about? There's no way that the glory here is going to be better than the glory there. But what they didn't understand and what they didn't know is that years, years in the future, God was going to send his son to this earth and he's going to be clothed in flesh. And God himself was going to walk on this earth and he was going to heal people and he was going to love people and he was going to die on the cross for their sins. And he was the same God that is going to walk into this very temple and he's going to teach lessons and he's going to preach and he's going to confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he's going to overturn tables and he's He's going to love on people. He's saying this, what you don't see and what you don't understand is the very temple that you're building right now is the very temple that your Messiah will someday step into. Amen. That's some glory. Amen. That's good. That God himself is going to walk into your temple. They never could have understood that. There is, there is no way that these people ever could have understood that, that what their obedience and faithfulness to do God's word was going to be in the next 400 and some years. They, they never could have understood what their obedience led to. And God never told them what it would lead to. He wasn't obligated to do so. He just said this, get back to work. Um, I'm just saying this. You don't know how your faithfulness to child rearing is going to turn out. You don't know. Now, I understand that kids are rascals. I was a rascal. Many of you are, were, we are. <laughs> Whatever. You don't know. You don't know what your faithfulness to, to, to teach your children uh, the truths about God's word is going to lead to. You don't know. You don't, you don't understand. You don't know what training them right now. Here's what you do and here's how you do it. You don't understand what faithful discipline is going to do. When, when it's like you tell them not to do it, you discipline them and they do it again in the next 10 seconds. You don't know what's going to happen to that child. I'm telling you, you don't know what's going to happen to faithfulness on your bus ministry. You, you don't know what's going to happen when you go to a door and you knock on a door and, and some kid comes out and, he's, and his hair's all messed up and he's dirty and he's stinky and he's, and he's maybe even a little bit annoying. You, you don't know what God's going to do with him or her. We don't know. You don't know what's going to happen in the future when God prompts your heart to tell that person about Jesus Christ. We, none of us know. Now, I don't know if I've told this before. If I have or not, I can't, I can't remember, but it, it, it's a story about when my grandma was younger. She, 
um, grew up with some understanding of God and, and got away from the Lord. And she had married a, a man and it was my grandpa and full blood Lebanese man, and a full blood Swedish woman. They, they get married. He's living a lifestyle, owning a bar and just all that comes with that lifestyle. You can imagine. And, and my grandma was there in, in Sioux City, Iowa, where she's from. And, she, and she's there. And this this pastor, this man comes up to her. And I don't know the story. I don't know all the details. I, I, I don't even know the pastor's name. But I know, that this, I, I know this. He came up to her and he gave her the gospel. And, and I don't know what had gone on in my grandmother's heart before. I don't know what she all knew about the Bible. All I knew is that this man came up and, and he told her. He simply just told her the gospel. And my grandmother got saved. And, and beyond that, she would have four children, had four children. All of them would get saved. They would get married. They would have children. They would get saved. I am one of those. God has called me to the ministry. One of my cousins had, had a boy, and now he's, he's saved, he's called, and he's starting a church out in Iowa. My grandfather, who was a, who was a wicked man, he got saved. Why? Faithful obedience? By some man? I don't even know his name. Was he some big name preacher? I have no idea. Did he preach me? I don't know. Did, did he preach a lot of good meetings and, and people were just highly sought after? I have no idea. I don't even know the man's name. But here's what I do know. He faithfully preached the word, even if it was just to one struggling lady. And I guarantee you, he didn't sit there and think, man, I, I tell you what's going to happen here. She's going to get saved. Her husband's going to get saved. Her four kids are going to get saved. All their kids are going to get saved. One's going to be called into ministry. He's going to go to Heartland Baptist Bible College. He's going to be able to minister to the Southwest Baptist Church and the Heartland Singles. And there's going to be another one that, that, that's going to go off. and He's going to plant a church. And I, and I know everyone's going to get saved. I just know that's going to happen. You don't have a clue. And, and regardless, regardless if she got saved at that time, the man, you could still honestly say, success. Because he obeyed. And so I'm, I'm just trying to say to us today, you don't know what God has in store with your little ministry. You, you have no idea, and I have no idea. You can say, well, it's just insignificant. I just shake, I just, I just shake hands at the door. It's, it's not a big deal. I, I just have a Sunday school class of first grade boys. It's not a big deal. I, I just, I just, it's just a bus route. And I'm not even a captain. I'm just, I'm just a helper. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a big deal. I really don't see many results. I don't see anybody saved. I just kind of sit there. I talk with the kids. I, I do, I do what I'm supposed to do. And so it's not really that big of a deal. It is a big deal. If you're doing it with the right heart, and you're doing it with the right spirit. God says you are a success because of your obedience. So I'm just saying you might find yourself in a place where you're discouraged in ministry, serving God, being a mother, thankful for mothers, being a, a wife. I'm, I'm just a wife. Man, just a mother. Uh, man. It's just a little thing I do. No. If it's, if it's an obedience to God, it's here. And you don't know 
what your influence in kids are going to do. You don't know what your faithfulness to obey God in the ministry is going to do. So take courage, my friend. Be, be encouraged and work because God is with you. Okay? Father, thank you for your word. I, I thank you, God, for just the truth that's found in this book. I'm asking, Lord, for your help. Even as pastors, he's coming back from Tulsa. Thank you for his work. But I, I do ask that you'd help us here. If there's anyone that's discouraged or ready to quit and ready to give up, Lord, that you'd encourage them to get back to work or stay the course, stay at work and, and do, Lord, what you've called them to do and that that is true biblical success. So, Father, I sure am thankful for all that you've done for us and ask for your blessing to be upon the invitation. And, Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can all stand as the invitation begins.